0: Hello, I'm Rob Johnson. Welcome to episode 16 of A Kilo of String, and apologies first of all for the delay since the last episode. I do of course have plenty of valid excuses, but perhaps the one you might accept as the least fantastical and most believable is that I've been devoting a large chunk of my time finishing the first draft of my new novel. A bit more about that later, but for now, here's some stuff about what's been happening in Greece and elsewhere in the last few weeks. Politics has, of course, been rearing its ugly head once again, and that's not meant to be taken as a personal criticism of Nigel Farage, leader of the UK Independence Party, or UKIP for short, or even Nikolaos Mikhailolyakos, leader of Greece's Golden Dawn neo-Nazi party. Not only would that be unkind... But it would also be unnecessary, since there are many other more important criticisms that can be levelled at these two bastions of racism, homophobia, and pretty much every other ism and obia that most civilised people consider abhorrent. Despite this, both parties did very well in the recent European elections. One area where UKIP didn't do so well was London, which, according to one of their spokespeople, was because we don't tend to do well in london because it's cultural educated and young so it seems by their own admission that ukip mainly appeals to older uneducated people or in other words regular readers of the daily mail as for golden dawn it strikes me as a little odd that it is even allowed to field candidates when their leader and two of their other eighteen mps are in prison facing trial for various crimes including murder and when the party itself is likely to be reclassified as a criminal organisation. Meanwhile in France, Marine Le Pen's National Front Party, or Le Front National to give it its French title, stormed to victory in the European elections, and is now looking for allies from other countries to form a group with similarly unpleasant views to give them more power and money in the European Parliament. Nigel Farage has already rejected Ms. Le Pen's advances, however, apparently on the grounds that Le Front National is a bit too Nazi, while Le Pen herself has given short shrift to Golden Dawn's approaches because, well, they're a bit too Nazi. One of the good things about elections in Greece is that it's the only time when the local authority bothers to repair the track which leads from the main road to our house. There's about four kilometers of it, and most of it is just compressed dirt and stones, which, during the three or four years between elections, becomes increasingly full of crater-like potholes and small ravines gouged out by heavy rains. In the weeks and months leading up to an election, it becomes almost completely impassable with anything less than a Sherman tank. An imminent election is therefore cause for celebration because whichever party happens to be in power locally seems to believe that repairing the track will convince us to vote for them, even though they've totally neglected it in the intervening years since the previous election. Of course, when I say repair, I mean they send up a JCB to smooth over the worst of the holes and ravines, and then fill the rest with sand. Then, as soon as we get the first lot of serious rain, the whole lot gets washed away, and we're back to square one again. Another thing about elections in Greece, as I mentioned in an earlier podcast, is the ridiculous amount of paper that gets wasted. For each of the parties that's standing, every voter is given a sheet of paper that's five and a half inches wide, and several of them are nearly two feet long, depending on the number of candidates. That's 14 by 60 centimetres, if you want to be metric about it. This time round, there were no less than 43 of these sheets and you have to take all of them into the polling booth to make your selections. But you can't vote for more than one party, so only one sheet of paper gets used. The rest normally get left in the booth or end up on the floor. Next, you fold your ballot paper, and then wrap it in a blank piece of paper before putting it into an envelope. And not just any old bog-standard office supply manila job either. These envelopes are the quality pale blue self-sealing Basildon bond types. The whole process must cost a fortune in stationery alone, not to mention a recycling headache of mammoth proportions, always assuming that all this waste paper does get recycled, of course. And speaking of the self-sealing envelopes, Alexis Tsipras, the leader of the left-wing Syriza party, was caught on camera coming out of a polling booth and attempting to lick the flap on his self-sealing envelope. And didn't the right-wing media make a meal of it? For right-wing media read most Greek media, by the way. Every news bulletin for days repeatedly showed the clip of Tsipras trying to lick his self-sealing envelope, which is probably a good indication that they couldn't find anything more serious to attack him with. And believe me, They've been trying very hard because Syriza's showing in the recent European and local elections clearly indicated that they could possibly topple the current government at the next general election. Okay, moving on to an even bigger political issue than licking self-sealing envelopes, olive oil and yoghurt. Ever since the economic crisis began in Greece, the government has meekly accepted almost everything it's been told to do by Europe and the IMF. One of the very few bits of outside interference it did put its foot down to was the OECD's suggestion that Greek olive oil should be mixed with other cheaper oils to make it more profitable. According to some sources, the main reason the Greek government rejected such a proposal was down to Prime Minister Adonis Samaras's mother.
1: Adonis? Yes, Mama? "'What's all this nonsense about mixing our precious Greek olive oil "'with all this other skata?' "'Well, the OECD said it would make us more money.' "'And who exactly is the OICT when it's at home?' "'It's the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development.' Organisation for meddling in other people's business, more like?' "'No, mamma, that would be the OMOPB, OMOPPA.' "'You're not going to agree to this nonsense?' Well, I—that was not a question, Adoni. It was a statement.
0: Yes, Mamma.
1: And is it this same oikter that says we should use powdered milk instead of fresh milk to make our yogurt? Um, yes, Mamma. I believe so. And who's going to buy that, Mac? People buy yogurt because it's healthy, and healthy does not mean powdered bloody milk. I suppose not, Mamma. There's no suppose about it. I mean, what will be next, baklava without honey, ouzo distilled from goat poo? Well, it's interesting you should mention that, Mamma.
0: Okay, I may have made up the uzo and baklava examples, but it's certainly true about the OECD's recommendations for olive oil and yoghurt. Fortunately, the olive oil idea was rejected out of hand, but I'm not sure whether a decision has yet been reached about yoghurt made from powdered milk with or without added monosodium glutamate, And now, from the political to the personal, my partner Penny and I got married on the 10th of July. Now, I realise that this may not be of any great interest to most of my listeners, but it might be of at least passing interest to hear about the absurd amount of hoops we've had to go through to achieve this state of marital union. And no, I'm not talking about some quaint Greek wedding ceremony tradition, but the extraordinary bureaucracy involved. And not just from the Greek end, either. The Brits have been just as bad. But to cut a very long story short, I'll whiz through the various stages as quickly as possible. 1. Go to British Embassy in Athens armed with birth certificates and all sorts of other official documents to get certificate of non-impediment, which is basically confirmation that we're not already married to someone else. 2 pay British Embassy a shed-load of cash for certificate, and then find out that Greek authorities won't accept birth certificates, etc., unless they've been issued within the past six months. 3. Contact local authorities in UK to request reissue of certificates. They say, Why, have you lost the originals? I say, No, but the Greek authorities won't accept the originals. They say, Ah, yes, Greece. I see. 4. Get reissued certificates sent to the Foreign and Commonwealth Office in Milton Keynes to have something called an apostille stamp added to them to prove they're the genuine article. 5. Have the apostille stamp certificates sent to Greece and then forwarded to the Greek Foreign Office in Athens to have them officially translated into Greek. 6. Take the whole lot to our local Demarchio, Town Hall, to make formal requests for a registry office wedding, conduct absurd conversation with the woman in charge, who peruses all the documents and then says, This certificate of non-impediment is in Greek. Where's the English version? Uh, There isn't one. Why not? Because you only asked for it in Greek, so the British Embassy only issued it in Greek. This was true. We'd first been to the town hall five months before to find out what papers we needed to get married. This same woman gave us a long list, and nowhere on that list did it say anything about the cert of non-imp being in any language other than Greek. Not only that, but since this woman didn't speak a word of English, we'd no idea why she'd want an English version. Eventually she acquiesced, and we moved on to a detailed examination of Penny's birth certificate, the version in English. "'What's this?' she said, in Greek, of course pointing to the handwritten text in the column headed father's occupation uh, it's my father's occupation said penny schoolmaster it's an older way of saying teacher your father's name is schoolmaster uh, no john john schoolmaster it was at this point that we referred her to the attached greek translation of penny's birth certificate which she'd asked for in her original list and which we'd paid quite a lot of money for This seemed to satisfy her, but she then started a lengthy interrogation about why Penny's current surname wasn't the same as her maiden name. We explained that Penny had kept the surname from her previous marriage, but this seemed to cause the woman a mild heart attack, followed by her stated opinion that the marriage couldn't go ahead unless Penny changed her name on all her official documents, including passport, Greek residence permit, driving license, and all the rest of it. Suddenly, the idea of wedded bliss began to lose its appeal. For once again, we managed to persuade her that her demands were not only unreasonable, but also entirely unnecessary. After a few more hoops, she finally accepted that all our papers were in order, got us to sign the application form, and put the date of our wedding in her official diary. So, the big day has come and gone, and we really did have a great time, as you'll no doubt be able to tell from the forthcoming multi-page photos in Hello and OK! magazines. Anyway, it's back to reality now, and as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, I've recently finished the first draft of the sequel to my comedy thriller Lifting the Lid, and I've got a lot of editing to do before it's fit for public consumption. This one's set almost entirely in Greece, and has the provisional title, Heads You Lose. Hopefully it'll be published before the end of the year, but if that's going to happen, I'll need to devote most of my time to knocking it into shape over the next few months. And this is a slightly roundabout way of saying I won't be producing any more episodes of A Kilo A String for the foreseeable future. In fact, this may turn out to be the very last podcast of all in this series, unless, of course, I'm inundated with anguished emails demanding more. But seriously, if you'd like to be kept informed of any future podcasts, and or when my next book is published, please visit my website at rob-johnson.org.uk and subscribe by email. Just click on the link on the right-hand side of the page. It's free of charge, and I promise I won't be bombarding you with any more than half a dozen notifications a year, if that. Right then, that's about it for now. So many thanks for listening, especially to those of you who've stuck with me since I produced my first podcast episode in March 2012. Cheers. Yasas genasta kala.